0: You are
1: listening to Rejo Ramadan 365 Podcasts.
2: Assalamu alaikum, ladies and gentlemen, to our Scottish listeners, to all the listeners around the globe online, thank you for joining us. This is the first show of a two-part episode and we have a wonderful guest tonight at Late Night Live. So I'm going to introduce you to Auntie Bushra, she has an MBA, Mashallah award. Jizakala Auntie for joining us tonight.
3: Thank you very much. Jizakala Khairam uh, for inviting me.
2: So, so Auntie, we we um, I wanted to find out because you're like one of the first people from the earlier days who came here, our first generation to Scotland when there were very few apne Lok here and so you've gone through quite a lot and i wanted to to find out and and so our story is uh, you know th- these this series that we're doing a two part episode it's to create a positive impact to hear the stories of our aunties of our sisters and to inspire young girls to say that there's great possibility inshallah and that to think outside of the box to have hope to have faith and and hopefully let's start with your wonderful story auntie tell me how it started when you first came to this country
3: i arrived here in scotland in 1969 and in my i mean the um, the the concept about another country, especially UK, was very different, you know, when you see the English film and over there. And I was brought up in a way that I, I had watched some films and I knew. And that was the glamour there, tell you the truth, that, you know, they wear beautiful clothes over here, dresses and this and that. And, um, but when I arrived here, it was very different. Um, You know, um, even the buildings and everything was so different. So I wasn't impressed. I wasn't happy. From very beginning, I was very sad. Number one, I had left my family behind. And, And then, it was so different. For me, it was the other way around. I felt as if I've come to somewhere that is, that's, you know, like I was very, uh, as I say, un, unexpected uh, lights of um, the environment that I ended up here. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I... I- I think there was it true that you you had to go the first place you stayed at the hardship was so hard that you had to use a bathroom uh, outside of the flat.
3: Absolutely, um, back home uh, actually the bathroom was attached to my bedroom, but when we came here, I um, we stayed with my husband's uh, friends. And um, uh, they, they they were two brothers uh, living in one house, and with lots of other kids, six seven kids as well. However, we spent a night in their kitchen um, uh, because I think the old houses have got the uh, lights of place where people used to have their bed in the kitchen as well. Um, but they were good friends of my husband and they insisted that we, we stay with them. However, then we moved to a, another, um, we rented a room and we realized that um, they didn't have even bathroom or any facility inside the house, but it was just a toilet outside in the sterile, Sterile, which was even worse. And um, we had to go to public bath um, for shower, etc. So I was very, again, it was so so different and so bad that I used to cry all the time, and I wanted to go back. Yeah. Wow. Um, it was I was very, as I say, very unpleasant uh, initial experience
2: wow that that sounds pretty pretty uh, different than how we live today so i think for our new generation you worked very hard then to make our lives mashallah easier um, um and-
3: yeah, what what, what happening between within you know very quickly in those couple of months, um, I was expecting my first child and my thinking changed, and uh, similarly my husband's my late husband's, and we thought we have to improve our condition now because the baby is coming, so. That was the motivation at that point. You know, you only think about your children then. That's it. Your own life is no more. And yet I came uh, with the promise that my my husband and my in-laws that I had not completed my study back home. And uh, so basically I wanted to continue my, my study over here, which were, which gone out of the window as well. Because when you are expecting a baby, then you are focusing on baby. Um, We didn't have any money, anything. So we um, we wanted to get our buy our own house as well. So I was um, see how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Then they say when you know you your child about your children. It is the blessing that how. Allah then arranges for if, if another rule is going to come. Yeah. So it was our friend, they had invited us uh, to a dinner party. Um, so that's where we met another person who was from the same city that I came from. And he, um, Uncle Akram, so once he came to know that, you know, it was just a little association. And that yeah. shows that how we were helping each other at that time as well. Yeah. And with that very little association, Uncle Akram said, oh, uh, don't worry, we will find a house for use. Yeah. And then someone mentioned someone is selling a house. He's from Pakistani background as well. And we, um, he said, let's go and see it there and then. And we went and he took money from his own pocket and gave to the guy and said, the rest of the money, we will, it was 800 pounds for the house at that time. So um, I think it was half of, he paid to right away and um, I mean, we were surprised, you know, what had happened. And within a week, we moved to our a new house, our own house, I should say, <clears throat> which had the bathroom. And that was heavenly-like place to me. So um, then since we didn't have money, we had to pay monthly uh, to the, um, you know, our debt as well. So um, we both decided that we have to work now. Uh, my husband was working already, but he he was doing uh, his friend had uh, manufacturing. Uh, he was a manufacturer, so basically my husband he offered that it, you know he could work uh, some time with him, and uh, also my his wife was my. She became my friend and she Mm -hmm. uh, she actually said to me that she goes to the factory, I could come with her. So Mm -hmm. I basically went with her um, and uh, um, we earned a bit money. Mm -hmm. And um, we started buying the furniture and stuff because there was nothing there. And we had to do our uh, babies shopping Etc. cetera. So the things started moving then, you know, to the uh, a positive way. And, and you um, felt
2: more at home.
3: Yes, I then felt, but still it wasn't a place I would have liked to live. Um, it was an old building, of course. Uh, it's been demolished now on Katka Road, and it was um, flat. People who lived, one neighbor was really, really very good. The other one always, um, he he, he, he was someone who was alcoholic. And um, he used to annoy me. I mean, (laughs) he would give a bell and say that you haven't cleaned. It was your turn. You haven't cleaned the uh, stairs. And even he uh, once said, my husband did it. And he said, why he did what didn't you do? Things like that. (laughs) And then another old man who was very nice neighbor. And he actually lived on his own and he died. And no one knew that he's died. So then the police came and it was quite frightening. Mm. I mean, although we had our own house, but the surrounding was um, not something that, uh, you know, I, we, well, I say because my husband already lived here. So he was familiar with everything, whereas I wasn't. So it was very painful for me. Okay. Yeah. And then basically, I, uh, my, you know, I I was working. Uh, um, when the baby was born, then I was given the machine, industrial machine at home. And uh, because we had a, a shop um, on the ground floor and we lived on this first floor. So there was no problem that I could work from home. So I worked from home actually for quite a while. Uh, oh, my wow. second child, second uh, daughter was born as well and then gradually my husband bought the uh, business and we moved to Lanarkshire area and that's where um, that's where I my both daughters started primary school and I went to the local college Um, I also went to help, um, actually I went to learn English language and that's when they, um, told me in the center that you can help her, uh, help us because your English is, you know, okay. And so I started helping them, with them. And the next thing was, I started my education I was looking after my children. Sometime I helped my husband in his business. And, um, and you know, I started doing this volunteer work as well.
2: Mashallah. And
3: then it, it was Lanarkshire, um, Lanarkshire Division Education Department. And they appointed me as a, a ESOL coordinator. So, I established the, um, um, most of the ESL classes in this area. Oh, wow. And then I did one, um, uh, it was research, and then uh, language school was established in uh, uh, Hamilton, uh, Mm -hmm. on the basis of my report. Yeah. So then I was like of progressing progressing, I would say. But at the same time, when I did my SMC at Coatbridge College, um, I started evening courses at Glasgow University. And okay. I did a number of evening courses. And then I also um, enrolled. By then, my son was born and... Um, Although he was very young and I would arrange for a babysitter and, uh, you know, I continued my, my study at the same time.
2: Wow. That must have been tough to study, have family, have uncle come back from work as well. And then you're a machinist as well. You're an advisor, you know, so you you know, that's a lot of work. How did you manage the studying?
3: The machine work stopped as soon as I started working with the education department. Um, Tell you the truth, I myself didn't know that because I had seen back home different life. However, we, the human being has got so much potential that it's unbelievable that what we can do and when it comes to women especially mm-hmm. um you can juggle that is the quality of women and um, because we are we are so caring so we can always uh, plan things so i think it was um, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give me the direction, uh, give me the um, um, wisdom and um, hikmah that you somehow, if you are at the same time, basically, I um, started studying the, the, the religious education as well. And uh, uh, we started, um, I started as a volunteer, um, established for Muslim women, a group over here, and for children as well. But at the same time, I come from, you know, the religious background. I was quite influenced already by my father and my brother, and so, Keeping a balance was most important for me. I, it's no use that, you know, one becomes a um, maybe director, which you can achieve. It's not a big thing. And, you know, in one's career, you can be whatever you want to. Yeah. But if your, your family life is going to be suffering, then it's not worth it. So you have to look at the, you know, you set your priorities and you try to balance and that's what Allah Taala wants us to do. Believe you me, my husband would come and I would serve food to him. He just, you know, he would sit. And you see the other Asian men, they were very different. When even my first child was born, my husband left the room <laughs> to sleep in another room because mm-hmm. he said he in the nighttime, um, you know, he is disturbed. And it was me all the you know, I had to look after the baby and had Mashallah. the same thing work on the machine. So I, I, I think it's, it's just that we, the human being, do have potential. We can do it. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala would have never put us in those sort of situation yeah. unless Allah knew that we will be able to do it.
2: Wow, that's a wonderful story, Auntie. Just I can feel and see how hard you worked, how much of a pillar, a very strong, mashallah, pillar you are to to your household, and at the time to Uncle. Um, you, you know, it, it's, it's a story that I think our generation now, and I can speak for our generation and the newer generation, they have it so much luckier, so much softer. It's much easier as well. Um, Absolutely. and, and I love hearing a story like yours because it it shows about one being very balanced about work and life, life being more important to you. And, and, and that balance of children, which I think is, you, you know, I, I, I probably will all, often say and bring out a, a ha- study on happiness by the Harvard Business School. They said happiness are the, is all about the relationships that you create and hold. And in faith, in Islam, it's very much exactly the same. It's a focus on family and that life balance in a moralistic way.
3: Um, We, yeah, sorry, Uh, we Muslims are so lucky that we have got already, uh, uh, I may call it a business plan by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we hold that one and we implement in our lives, honest, it is a guarantee success. In everything that we do. And it is sad that we don't, we just go. uh, I mean, I myself have done many things which looking back now, you feel why, you know, how stupid I was, I did this. Um, However, as I say, it is the guidance that once you hold the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rope, Uh, you you don't go wrong of course there will be trials because that's what the life is I mean for me in the evening I used to um, feed you know the family um, serve my husband and then I would do my assignments and my husband, one day he said, I, I don't like, you know, he used to watch you do songs and, you know, the dramas. I had no interest. And yet I would sit with him because I felt after whole day work, basically he wants me to. However, uh, my, um, if I t- t- tell you that at Glasgow Uni, I did my um, um, a in multicultural education. Now, somehow, when I was at a um, college, I did modern study, and it, it was really quite uh, interesting to me. I liked it, so mm. that took me toward then more diversity and equality. work.
2: oh wow, was, excellent!
3: Uh, maybe it was, maybe it was a uh, um, what I went through how it came to my mind that you know we have to make our life better over here all those people who have come from abroad maybe it was the hardship which taught me and I was you know uh, more uh, although I wanted to be a lawyer I wanted to do law
2: but
3: somehow which at the end I managed to get it because I, 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 with the West of Scotland Regional Equality Council, uh, it was the professional qualification, which I did at Liverpool University, uh, mm-hmm. a diploma in race and community Relations, And they taught us um, to also, there were different modules. Yeah. And there was one module which was pre- prepare a case and then present at the employment tribunal,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and that's what I did eventually. You know, I thought because it was there.
2: Auntie, in the last minute, so we just have about a minute left now, so can I ask you um, what advice would you give to younger generation of girls who listen to your wonderful story? what advice would you give for them who are inspired to learn, to grow?
3: Since I come from equality and diversity uh, industry, I call it, my first advice is if you want to live in an inclusive world that uses the power of religious diversity, then you have to learn to accept tolerate, and perhaps even welcome those who don't share your values. You adopt open-mindedness, and it helps to learn and grow. The older generations have laid the ground for younger people. So never forget your Islamic values. The values are main beliefs, and it is our belief that guides us um, for our good behavior. We use values to make important identity claims so without values, we will be lost.
2: Absolutely. Mashallah.
3: To me, your values are most important. Don't underestimate yourself. Every person has got potential and it's only, uh, as I say, you hold your own values, you respect other people's values, whatever are they are, and, you know, we, the problem is we start then um, looking at others, you know, you focus on your own, own self and try to contribute to the best that you can. Never underestimate your own potential. It yes. is the inner compass to me. Yes. Obviously, it's your inner compass that helps us determine what is right and what is yes. wrong.
2: Absolutely. Aunty, so. look, sa- uh, thank you so, so much. Akabod Shukriya for giving us your time. We have unfortunately run out of time this evening. Um, yeah. it, it's a pleasure to have you and to have started the show with you as well, um, and an honor. And really that time, uh, I wish we could have spoken even longer to learn more, but I hope just this, the points that you've made, the beautiful story that you've shared will help inspire the younger generations. Um, so jazakala for your time, Auntie, and thank you for joining us. Our next guest is Lindsay Taylor from MEND. Lindsay, are you there?
4: Assalamu alaikum. Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much for having me.
2: It's such a pleasure to have you. And, and like our other guests tonight, we've been talking about the positive impact that Women in Leadership have made and continue to make. And it's been a great passion of mine to be able to explore these stories they, these are very unique and wonderful stories that I think we can lock away for the heritage of our community and especially future young generation of girls and aspiring women because I don't think it should stop when you know girls are that young as they probably get older in their 20s and they still have that chance and we want to be able to inspire them to say you can still do this so Tell us a bit about yourself, please.
4: Well, yeah, so um, I I totally am all for inspiring people of all ages, because to be honest with you, um, I didn't go to university till quite later on in life. So I went to uni um, in my 30s. Um, I left school at the age of 16 with no qualifications apart from a few standard grades and um, never thought that university or anything like that was going to be for me. Um, and then alhamdulillah I had a really supportive family um, but I had a really supportive husband who always kind of said no you can be so much more and you can do so much more with your life and and so in my late 20s I went back to college um, and I did a legal studies um, HND and then in my early 30s I went to uni and did my 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 legal degree Um, and then I went on to do my human rights uh, in law master's after that and so I think it doesn't matter what age you are then you can always you can always change your life you can always change your career path you can always change what what you want to do but the, the reason that I had never felt that university was for me was because I'm profoundly dyslexic and I thought no like, I'm a woman. I'm dyslexic. I'm like, there were so many bar- barriers for me in my head. But actually, when when I did go to university, alhamdulillah, there was so much support in place. There was so much there to kind of help and encourage, um, especially women like myself, to to kind of get on and, and, and get it done. And alhamdulillah, it, it was brilliant. And, and I did it.
2: Well, I, I will also add that you did extremely well because you got an honorary degree and a merit as well. Um, so you know, well done. And you know, it's an as- it's just such inspiration because someone listening out there can can actually think about this and realize, don't block yourself, is is what I've always said to you know my own children and to people who are younger than me believing believing in yourself is amazing and then having a partner or a friend or an environment around you say if you don't have that environment still try and you know your story is one of those examples. Um so how 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 was it a uni? was it quite tough?
4: You know I think I think being that I was considered a mature student and I had a house to run, you know, alhamdulillah my husband and I don't have any children but I had a house, I was working, my husband was working, at the time he was working you know 50 hours a week and things like that, um, I had other kind of obligations so yeah I mean it was it was definitely tough, um, it was a hard slog, I had to put a lot of other things kind of on the back burner and and things like that but, but I knew what I wanted once I got to university it was like okay I do want this and I knew that I had to put in the effort and I knew that I had to try probably twice, if not three times, harder than everybody else because of my dyslexia. Um, but but it was but it was worth it. Um, there was times when I phoned my mum and cried and went, "Don't want to do this anymore." Um, but uh, her, like many other people in my life, were, were were very supportive. But the thing is that not everyone is as fortunate as me. Not everybody has that family support. Not everybody has a husband who is really supportive. Um, I have to be honest and say when I on, on the day of my graduation um, from my from my degree, my husband said, OK, so what's next? And I went, oh, I go and find a job now. And he went, no, no, no. What's next in, in academia, academia? And I said, no, no, it's enough now. And he said, no, I think there's something else. And I said, well, there's a the master's. And he said, um, what's the master's? And I said, oh, it's in human rights law. And he said, OK, so when do you sign up for that? And I said, sorry, no, no, I have a wee break. And he said, No, you don't have a break because you'll never go back. Aww. He said, just get it done and do it. And you know, alhamdulillah, I because of because of my because of my, my dyslexia and also because of other things, I didn't have a lot of belief in myself. So it was my husband who put a lot of that belief in, in me. And as I said, not everybody has that, but you have to learn that. And eventually, you know, with the support of my husband, but also seeing myself, seeing what I was doing at university, seeing what I'd done at college. I, I started to have that belief in me, and actually, I can do that. And, you know, if I, as a 30-year-old, well, now, now I'm in my 40s, but I, at the time, as a 30-year-old woman with dyslexia, as a woman, you know, as, as a Muslim woman, can turn around and go, actually, I can do this, and I did do it, then it shows me that pretty much so anyone can do it. If you yeah. just have a little bit of focus in your own mind... Them, then you can do it and go out there and find those cheerleaders. You know, you might not have the cheerleaders in your family or your immediate support circle right now, but go out and find those cheerleaders, go out and find those people who go, yeah, you can do this. You know, so many of my university lecturers were so supportive of me and so encouraging of what I can do and what I could do. And and that really pushed me on as well, finding those people in my career path, finding those people in my a- academic, you know, studies that really helped me. That yeah. that was amazing.
2: I, I think it's really wonderful. You had a brilliant rock as a partner. I really like the sound of him. Um, <laughs> so that's one person who's, who's, who was there. And I think, you know, that's a rare jewel. But tell me who else has inspired you and why?
4: Oh, do you know, I'm inspired by so many people, I'm I'm inspired just walking down the street, and I see people who I I have to be honest to say I am one of these like my glass isn't half full my glass is full all the time I'm an eternal optimist, um so everyone inspires me I see people doing like a kind act in the street and I think wow I want to be like that that's amazing, um but one of the people that have really inspired me and I know that she will be um I know that she will be really like no no um. But this was after my academic studies, um, I'd kind of been working for a couple of years and I wasn't sure on what kind of path I was taking and I got a job in Almazan, the Muslim Women's Resource Centre, and I met a woman there called Serena Ahmed, uh, she's a real uh, champion of uh, of women, of BAME community, of uh, supporting environmental issues, of working with environmental issues. And... Um, and she looked at me and she said, you know, you can do this, Lindsay, you can do this. She helped me um, really kind of often the career path that I wanted to be in, you know, kind of running environmental projects, running projects um, that help our community and, and things like that. And the work that she does and the way that she does her work, she's a very gentle person. She's very kind of open and kind and she's one of these people who she inspires you to do things not because it's like oh get it done it needs to be, but she inspires you to do things because she talks about the positivities of it she talks about it in a really passionate way and that to me is how people should be inspired through kindness through passion through your excitement about the area that you're working in and I'd say probably more than anybody else, that's that's a woman who really inspires me um, to kind of get up in the morning and do what I do.
2: Wow, brilliant. Um, as the, some listeners may not know the or- that organisation, could you briefly say what they actually did at Amazon?
4: Yeah, so Amazon is a Muslim women resource centre and they support uh, Muslim women and children um, in Islamic studies and and, and and other things as well. But what I was doing there was I was running the environmental project and that was a really big project, ran for a number of years. <coughs> Sorry, I, I um, became the project manager um, in its final year um, and it had run for, for kind of five years before that. And it supported Muslim women to engage with their environmental journey, to engage with how Islam and environmental protection are really one in in the same and that they're really interwound together. And, you know, alhamdulillah, it, was a, it was an absolutely brilliant project. And I know that they are carrying on quite a lot of the work up there, which is really, really good. Um, but yeah, it was a really, it was a really lovely project. And it was one that I then moved on to after, after that left to run another project similarly to that um, in another um, equalities organization.
2: Thank you for, for that. Though. Um, can I ask, um, in terms of your faith, how would you say it's influenced your career and what difficulties, if any, have you faced?
4: Oh, do you know, actually, my faith has really influenced my career. So those who don't know me, I, I'm a revert to Islam. Um, I think the name kind of gives it away, um, that I wasn't born Muslim. Um, I converted about 12 years ago to, to become Muslim. and. I've always been an individual, I was brought up in a family who very much so were all about um, looking out for everybody, making sure that everybody's rights were were met and heard, making sure that everybody was supported. Um, and when I became Muslim, I realised that actually our community is is really, I, well, I'd known before, honestly, but but being Muslim it really kind of showed me the issues that, that our community face, the issues that we're kind of up against in everyday life. Um, and I wanted to do something about that but also the other thing about being Muslim and a lot of people go how can you be Muslim when you're a feminist how can you be Muslim when you're a strong independent woman and I say well alhamdulillah that's what Islam's all about Islam is all about giving women their place in the world and their rightful place you know place of leadership of a place of equality a place of 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 having, having an input into society and a lot of people don't understand this about Islam, a lot of people don't see this about Islam but that was one of the things that I really saw about Islam was that actually women had so many rights um, and it was a really progressive religion and so the progressiveness of Islam together with the inequality of the way that Muslims are treated here in the UK um, and in many European countries um, has really helped to forge my career path. To be honest with you,
2: okay, it's um, a very interesting answer and very in depth. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I definitely, you know, having grown up here, it, I have noticed that there's um, a, a lot of, I, I guess, um, hardship some some people can face. Um, I found really had to work hard, harder than anybody else, to be noticed but I believe in meritocracy and, and then, but then there can be this level of unfairness. I guess, you know, this is what we all understand, um, but I guess the good news out of all of this is that I see in 20, you know, it's been 20 years now since I've returned that there's more opportunities, there's more of um, our community in very good jobs, and looking at you know your own background you've done extremely well mashallah and you know you're in a leadership position and it's a place that uh, younger generations can look up to and even you know have you as, as a mentor to try to understand okay, how do i get there how how do i get out of my little space and home and, and and aspire to this and and i think that's what we're trying to you know input out to to everybody so the most important part I guess is this what kind of advice would you share with the young women out there who are entering perhaps a more male-dominated profession uh, these days?
4: Do you know I would I would give a few different pieces of advice because everybody is different. I, I didn't always know where I wanted to go in my career path it kind of It's kind of happened to me rather than me actively going out and and seeking this specific career path. I always knew that I wanted to help people. I always knew that I wanted to help the community. Um, But I didn't always know how I wanted to go about that. So there are lots of people out there who are similar to me. And so my thing is grasp opportunities as they come to you. You know, don't let opportunities pass you by um, because because then you won't get to where you don't know where you want to be type thing. Um, So every opportunity, everything that comes your way is an opportunity. So you should definitely, definitely grasp that. But I know that some people are slightly different and some people they want to plan out their career path. So in planning out your career path, plan it out. Plan out, you know, I want to do this kind of job. I want to be in this kind of environment. I want to be working with this kind of people. You know, very much so. If that's what works for you, then then that's definitely what you should do. Do what works for you. I think that's a really important thing for people. Do what works for you in in your journey because this is your journey. Also, the other thing to me is it is a very male-orientated world. um, And quite often, even in the Muslim world, or especially in the Muslim world, should I say, it can be a very male-orientated world. Don't let that put you off. Don't let that... The fact that the world can be like that stop you from going out and grasping your dreams and and forging your way in this world because there are so many things that are up against you As, as a woman, if you've got a disability, if you're a woman of faith, if you're a woman of ethnicity, there are so many things that can be up against you. Don't let yourself be one of them. Plan your career path or take those opportunities as they come past and don't go, I'm not good enough because I am. No, you are good enough because you are, because you have life experience, because you've faced those hurdles and difficulties, because you've experienced things that other people can't experience. And think about that. What are you bringing to the table? What are you bringing to the table that nobody else can possibly bring? Because there are so many things you may think, oh no, I don't have this bit of experience or oh, I don't have that bit of experience. But actually you probably do. You probably do, and you have to think about that. What are your transferable skills from your everyday life, from your everyday experiences? What are your transferable skills? You know, when I am delivering training sessions in lots of different areas, whether it's environmental studies, with discrimination, whether it's Islamophobia, then I talk about my lived experiences. Now, not everybody is comfortable in doing that, but if you are, it can make a massive difference. So. You know, yes, it can be a male-orientated world. And yes, men can try and put you down at times, you know, when men can be, no, actually, there should be a man in that job and, and things like that. But, you know, actually, no, you should be in that job. You should be in that career path. Believe in yourself because you are a wonderful individual who can bring so much to the table. And that's what it's about. Believe in yourself you know if you can find those cheerleaders out there to to bring in that that cheer squad for you then alhamdulillah even better but have that belief in yourself and go for it that's definitely what i would say to, to all kind of women out there
2: um do you have a favorite book
4: oh wow i have hundreds of favorite books probably <laughs> your cliche answer to answer the quran is one of my favorite books um but out with the quran i do have i have um oh wow, I have loads of favorite books, so one of them is ninety nine ways to please Allah and it's a book about um environmentalism and and faith um and it is a really beautiful book, and it's got lots of little snippets and extracts <laughs> that talk about different ways to please um our creator, which is really beautiful
2: yeah. well. I, am you know, we're almost, uh, just got about a minute or so left. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's really a, a, wonderful, beautiful story, you know, the journey that you've had and a very successful one, but it's just the beginning because, you know, you are still very young. Um, I, I know the listeners can, cannot see, but sister is very young still, uh, as I can see on the screen. We are connected remotely, so you know we're obviously know in the radio station. But you know, we all we all forget that time is precious. We have a small amount of time which passes quickly. So, for the listeners out there, do think about every person you listen to on this show because hopefully they will inspire you to create that pathway to change. Um, in 30 seconds or less what's the last thing you'd like to share with our listeners
4: i'm um, dream big no dream is too big but also no dream is too small but, but dream big and and have faith and belief in yourself have faith and belief in our creator and and you will achieve that and you you know, you definitely, definitely will achieve that. And reach out to people for support, reach out to people who can mentor you, who can guide you in the right path and and support you on the journey. Um, it might not be the people who are around you right at this precise moment in time, but look for those people because they are there. There's so many inspirational people out there and alhamdulillah, you'll
1: get there.
2: Brilliant, thank you so much for joining me tonight uh, this evening. Um, have a wonderful evening yourself. And now it's time for my next guest. Well, I'm going to go to my next guest. It is Sister Dr. Saqib Razak. Asalaamu Alaikum, Sister. Thank you for ba- joining me.
0: Walaikum ba- assalam, Brother Niaz. How are you?
2: Very well, thank you. Um, how have you been doing with uh, all the rosé?
0: Mashallah. Fine, just getting on with it, really. I guess our, us as mothers don't have much of a choice. We just carry on, you know, balancing everything else and just you know, carrying
2: on. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, look, uh, well, we're here as, as a continuation of the show, um, and it's a two part show. This is the first part. So thank you for joining. Um, and the message is going to be, you know, one of great importance and hope, one to inspire young women out there who are listening. So I'm going to ask you to take it away straight away, and and to say, tell me a little bit about yourself. Your 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 the start. Where did everything start in terms of your say career, your academics, your inspiration to get started.
0: So at the moment, I'll work a little bit backwards actually at the moment I work with Colourful Heritage which you know is an organization that highlights the very positive contributions I guess of the South Asian community within Scotland and South Asian and Muslim community but it's not always um, that's not what I've always um, started my career as my profession I'm a chemist so I graduated from Glasgow University many, many years ago now. And I just felt when I finished off that, you know, I didn't want to start working at that point. I wanted to, I wanted to explore more. I just loved university so much that I thought, no, I want to take it a notch up and I think a notch up, but I think also I wanted to self challenge myself. I just felt I wanted to aim higher. Um, so I decided then straight from university to enrol in a PhD. An opportunity came along and I thought, I don't want to miss this. And I remember putting in my application and then afterwards telling my parents, which wasn't a great thing. <laughs> my mum was a little bit worried at that point. But, you know, alhamdulillah, she, she came round and off I went, actually, to study for my PhD at St Andrew's University. So I stayed wow. away from home.
2: MashaAllah. Well, how old were you at this point?
0: Um, I was about... 21 just no nearly 22 yes when i started when i moved away Mm -hmm. um and i think earlier on you asked why what what was the big reason for this i had i knew a couple of cousins um who had studied chemistry and other kind of scientific subjects but they stayed at home and also they studied to sort of an honours level. So I wanted, to, and I, I knew also another one that finished her PhD, but she studied at Strathclyde. So I thought, I want to do something similar, but better. I wanted, So I, I kind of set myself goals quite high, challenged myself. And also when I was really young, this is really nice actually, and it's something I had forgotten about. My dad reminded me, when I was young, I saw um, somebody's dissertation that had silver lettering and it said master's degree and it had their name on it and it was a Muslim name. So, you know, I remember walking to the house and this silver writing sort of glistening in the sun and it just caught my attention because at this point I didn't realize that somebody who was an Asian and a Muslim would go on to study further education because a lot of people in my family, although they were educated in Pakistan, I didn't know anybody that went to university Um, and then Another family friend came over and they've done a PhD. So they then got their thesis with gold writing. So I remember just looking at that thinking, that's where I want to go. So I think it's really important to have a focus, set your goals high.
2: Wow, that, that's brilliant. I, I really like, um, I mean, that's inspiring. First of all, inspired so early on by uh, a dissertation thesis Um and and I think that's that's remarkable. So you so you had part of that around you to inspire you to like I want to do that, but but you didn't quite know um, you, you know what what that entailed. So what did that entail once you started at uni?
0: Oh gosh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had only ever gone to university and come back home. I didn't really go to any of the sort of university scene things that you know happen. So I was in a very much uh, um, a a bubble, like a family, you know, just home, university, that's it. You know, didn't really take part in anything much extracurricular or anything. Didn't actually realise there was clubs and things on. I was just so focused on getting my head down to make sure I do well, because I was so passionate to prove my point that I can do this. Because when I was really young, we were travelling between Glasgow and back to Pakistan. So... I felt we missed it quite a lot in my primary education, so I was playing catch-up. Then when I finally left, I got to St Andrews, and I didn't realise how much of a difference, a culture difference there was between, um, you know, Muslims and the sort of host community, the Scottish community. So I, I realised that in my very first week there when they invited us out for a drink. And here's me thinking naively, right, we're going, we're going to go get a coffee or a tea. And then when I turned up, because, you know, the places in um, in St. Andrews look like cafes. And when, then I realised it was actually a um, like a, a pub like a, 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 where, you know, they were getting together on a Friday evening. So that was a real shock for me. So that was my first challenges. I went along the first day. Then after that, I thought, no way, not doing that again. I need to make my mark that this is not me it's very different for me I have my own culture my own identity so that was one of the first challenges second challenge is a very very male dominated area when you get into sort of in those days I'm talking about sort of chemistry research so there was very few girls never mind South Asian or Muslim girls so that was that was an eye-opener so I think it was about me trying to educate my colleagues that you know I am different but you know, I'm equally on par with you, but I'm different in terms of my identity. So that was important for me.
2: Yeah, I, I think I can totally resonate with that because um, I I've been lucky to grow up in different cultures. So not just here; it was mostly in Qatar. So it was an Islamic culture. So you never never had that. It was a coffee. It was a coffee. Tea is a tea. Um, and and in Switzerland as well. So very luckily. And when you meet someone it's it's very social and so you go to a cafe um, so I', I um, it's only here that it's 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 very different so culturally it is different and I, I totally appreciate that uh, when we go out there um, you know I, I'm, I'm also very health conscious as well so I'd like to have some you know health healthy food too <laughs> you know, or try to um, but but yeah it, it it takes a lot of um, willpower and and um, discipline like you said to not Follow like herds, and to say, be proud of our ancestry, our community, our background, history, and religion as well. Um, in fact,
0: that's one of the things you know. When I was there, I I was so um, focused on you know I wanted to do well, and I wanted to, but at the same time, I wanted to fit in, but without losing who I was. So yeah. I used to, I remember, go to the lab, and um, you know. Uh, And I worked with, you know, other ladies and men as well, but mostly my lab had, um, you know, men in it. And I would actually go with my full Kamishawar on, my full, you know, sort of Asian ethnic outfit. And at that time I wasn't wearing hijab, but, you know, I had my ethnic outfit on uh, underneath my lab coat. And so it felt so normal and comfortable and they got so used to it, you know, they never ever, and I guess that kind of shows them the barriers, limits, you know, as well, that I am different and also you know because it is a very male dominated area there's you know you have to be really careful the way you know they maybe talk to other people so having that meant that they respected me for being me for being who i am so that was very important for me and i think some of the other challenges about you know studying on further is you're obviously living on your own so you've got to be really motivated you've got to be self-disciplined um, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, PhD students, that's easy. But I think when it's a, a, um, like a scientific research kind of a, a, a topic, then it's very much you're, you're in the lab day in, day out, and you're just trying to get your results. You're just trying to make things work. Mm. So it's you have to be really um, motivated.
2: Yeah. And hard no, absolutely. Work, lots of hard work. Yeah. And... The end of that was, so, you, you know, you fought um, your thesis uh, and then you uh, went on to, to tell us where.
0: Yeah, so when I actually finished my thesis, I actually dedicated it to my grandparents. Oh, wow. Um, and then I dedicated, so it's my granddad first and then it was my mom and dad. And I remember in, in the acknowledgements page, the first thing I wrote was, you know something around the, the effect of you know this would only this was only possible by the will of Allah. And I remember at that point thinking that this was really important to me. So I finished my thesis and I then started working for an organisation called Thomson Scientific. I wanted to take a break from lab-based um, research, but to you know an office-based job which was still involving chemistry. So this involved uh, we worked. Thomson Scientific essentially are a a patent analyzing organization so they had databases of patents that would come in every day and we'd look at all those medical devices new drugs so I was using all the skills that I needed but in a different environment and funnily enough this was very much a female dominated um, workforce where I was as very few men I think maybe because it was office-based um, and then I, I had my children. So during this time when I started working, got married, had my children, had, had my older son. And that's when I thought, right, I want to be able to look after him as much as possible. So I started home working very early on and had, then I got reduced hours. And then when I had my second son, I decided to take a clean break. So I just stopped working. I felt I had to be there to look after them. I wanted, I didn't want to miss out on anything. I wanted to nurture them. So at that point I stopped for a few years. So it's only been a a couple of years now, since about 2016, I've gone back to work. But except this time it's more for interest and also what fits around the family. So I got a fantastic opportunity with Colourful Heritage in fact, which um, I've already explained what it is. A great bunch of people, and I just felt that my, I can use my research skills, but in a different context, it's more about the history of you know, Asians in Scotland rather than researching chemical patents or you know, research papers. So,
2: so, so, yeah. so, so that, that, that's exactly what I'm glad you brought this up because you've shown an evolution that you, know, you don't have to just do one thing. Sometimes as we grow, we can change and adapt and that flexibility creates happiness and life is all about that uh, happiness as well. And, and it goes on to perhaps, you know, what an Islamic way is, right? And in, in, uh, our faith, how that in, in interconnects. Um, so that, that leads on to my question, which is how has your faith influenced your career choices.
0: Um, I think, um, to be honest, I mean where I work just now, I am able to, you know, I, I can wear my hijab. I can work flexibly around the children. I can also, when I'm at work, I have a, we have a space there where we can go and pray. You know, I I, I feel that because of where i am now i'm able to practice my faith a lot more openly you know i, I don't and and i think maybe because that's also i'm older as well now so i don't have any um you know issues in as such so you know i i feel where i am now I'm at a very happy place very happy medium i can work around um all sorts of things as long as i get my you know the, the work done
2: yeah yeah, I I think what what I've heard from some friends um, in general, like sometimes it can be difficult to um, you know in traditional workplaces, especially in my industry in the financial industry, um, uh, you know, finding a, a room to prayer, etc., and allocating that and one person out of say a hundred or hundred fifty, you know, so so you know it's it's quite tough, um, but. I, I can absolutely appreciate this um, and it's nice to hear that you know, you've know you come into an environment that you enjoy. I mean, that, that is the greatest part. Um, so for those that are listening, um, what would you say makes you happy in general? What, what makes you happy in terms of all those components, family, religion to work, What are the components that make you happy in in, in life?
0: I think, you know, now that I'm a mother, I feel I want to impart as much knowledge and as much information as I can, like every other parent would, you know, whether it's mother or father to your children. And I feel that every day, you know, in this job, I'm learning something new all the time. And it's just so many different facts and, I and actually the whole point I started uh, working at Culper Heritage was that my son asked me one day, why are we in Glasgow? How did we end up here? So and it was very different to what I thought it was. I thought we only, you know, the community only ever came around about the 1960s or 70s, and it was only when I started working at Club for Heritage I, I realised with more research that we actually go back a lot further than that, you know. the way back to about the 1900 1910 or something like that but and that was fascinating and so i then wanted to ensure with my children that they realized that everything that we have around us today it was very different in my day and before that you can imagine you know we're talking in the 60s or even the 1940s or 1930s glasgow would have been a very different place so you know i want them to appreciate that what they have, it's not always been around and it's only been because of people's hard work and because they have asked for things and had to fight for things, that this is possible. So, you know, never shy away from that. So I guess it's about my children knowing where we come from and also to be proud of your Muslim heritage, your religion, you know, no matter where you are, you can just stop and read your namaz. It takes five, 10 minutes, you can, you know, but at the same time, you can still be part of Scottish community. And I feel that I, I, I want them to know that you can integrate to a certain extent um, and integrate well and learn different things from different cultures, you know, positive, good things that you can adopt, but you don't have to assimilate. And that's absolutely. important.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful message as well. Um, well, in the last couple of minutes, I'm going to ask uh, this very poignant part and it's what advice for the whole journey so far and the journey ahead, what advice can we give to the future young aspiring girls who are dreaming about becoming so many things? I'm not going to even say words because I don't want to block someone and say just that. I think they should dream big um, dream beyond big and believe in themselves more than anything believe in themselves so what would you say
0: yeah that was my that was just what i just took the one straight out of my mouth first advice i think i would give and this is for you know not just girls but for young boys as well that you know just general for the younger generation is to believe in yourself and aim high I would say use your time wisely at school and make sure you get an education, you know, get good friends around you. Try and focus and empower yourself because your education never gets wasted. Even if you don't stay in the same field, you can then pass that on to your children, your siblings, other people. So, and also hard work pays off. So keep at it. You know, it's there are there are times when things can get really tough. but If you work hard, you will get over that hurdle. Um and like i already said you know you can integrate to a certain extent but don't assimilate you need to be proud of who you are so you need to let people know that this because if you bow down once you'll always bow down so for example i just don't shake hands i just don't shake hands with, with with men but at the same time now you know with the whole coronavirus we're not doing that anyway so i'm quite happy to just say slam and that's it and if somebody doesn't like it well that's That's my belief, and that's how I like to do things. I also feel education is not just about earning money, but you can also help to educate and guide your own other children in the future. And also you can make the next generation of Muslim kids that will go on to lead others as well, just by having a good education. So it's not always about the money you make, but it's about the impact that you have on others. So that's very important.
2: Absolutely. Look, Thank you so much for your time tonight. It's such a pleasure. I wish we had more time. Uh, there's always so much to talk about, but I hope that it, the listeners out there take your message and the stories that we've shared tonight and are fully inspired. So thank you, sister, for joining me this evening.
0: Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
2: My pleasure as well. Jazakallah alafiz.
0: As-salamu
2: alaykum. And now, ladies and gentlemen, my next guest, guest who's been with us a number of times, it's Dr. Sarah Dar. Dr. Dar, can you hear me?
1: Yes, yeah, alaykum, I can hear you well.
2: Well, I'm and such a pleasure to have you back uh, with us. As you can uh, tell today, it's it's quite an exciting uh, evening because we've had some amazing guests tonight. Uh, from anti bushra to Lindsay Taylor, Dr. Saka Brazak and yourself. And and we're we're trying to make a positive impact by telling you know some of your stories, you know, to inspire the younger generation of girls and younger women as well, that you know that they can have a chance, say even if they miss out on education, when they're a little bit more older they can still have a chance with the support that's around them. So let's start about yourself. Um, Tell me about your journey in terms of your earlier years and in terms of academics, what inspired you to do this all?
1: Right. So um, as some of you know, I'm a, a GP and growing up, I always wanted to be a doctor. It sounds really boring and I probably had a lot to do with my dad who from a young age would say, May doc, may doctor, When You was that kind of um, traditional Pakistani kind of environment. And my dad, I was the eldest, so academics and doing well at school was drilled in us. And um, my dad wanted us all to excel academically and go into university. I, and I think part of that was because he felt he didn't get a chance to do do that. My dad had gone to college; he'd, he'd got a degree, but he, you know, he didn't get a chance to pursue his education to the way he wanted to and you know his professional career Um, he was an engineer but he, he couldn't you know coming into this country it was business that he got into so he wanted to make sure his kids became you know educated and went into professional uh, sphere. so as the eldest daughter it was I always heard Mary Beatty Dr. Waneke <laughs> and as I was growing up I always wanted to be a doctor there was to me no no other option so whether that was brainwashing or <laughs> my own uh, passions, I'm not quite sure. So going through you know, I, I academically, I, I always worked hard and um, it wasn't something that came easy or naturally to me, I had to work for it. But I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed studying, I, I enjoyed learning and enjoyed the whole university experience. Once I actually became a doctor, so obviously I've already put in a good few years of hard work academically, I realized the reality wasn't what I expected. So as a young, bright, you know, big eyed, bright eyed young doctor, you think you're going to save the world and you're going to make all these changes in people's lives. But the reality is as a junior doctor, that's not the case. You work extremely hard. And a lot of times it's really just keeping people alive for the senior doctors and the consultants to be making all the decisions. So that actually quite I was quite disillusioned. By the reality of that, the lack of autonomy, the lack of interaction with patients, and real, really not, I didn't feel I was making any difference to their lives. So I took a career break at that point. I had my first uh, child, I had a boy um, who is now Marshall 17 and setting his hires. Um and so I took a career break um, primarily because of a sort of maternity leave. But at that point I started thinking of different kinds of health systems and started reading about Chinese medicine and other traditional medicines like Unani-Tib and these sort of healing mechanisms, which are really ingrained in a a civilization Um, and homeopathy, which I really loved. So I explored a little bit of of different forms of traditional healing systems. And I was really drawn to them. They really, like, I felt in harmony with a lot of the principles. I felt that my faith was in harmony with a lot of principles, and now that I'm a lot older and I've explored this, I understand why that is. Because a lot of a lot of our religion is about bringing balance to the mind, body, and soul. It's healing. That's what healing is: bringing balance. And um, so this is when, obviously, I'm still in my kind of twenties, young family, exploring these things. But I kind of at that point really missed medicine. And having that clinical interaction, and a friend of mine had called me and said, "Listen, if you want to get back into medicine, you need to do it now." If you know, I was talking about doing general practice, and he said, "You need to come back now because it's going to get harder the longer you leave it." So I went into general practice training, worked really hard with two young boys. A, you know, long hours studying for a few years, but alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, you know that hard work paid off because now I'm a GP. I have a lot more flexibility in terms of my work life balance and I've got the opportunities to explore other areas so when it comes to community activism I'm very you know I'm very kind of involved in various community efforts and that's what those years of grafting has allowed me to be now a lot more flexible and explore different areas of work and my you know my special interests which are Islamic healing and energy medicine, I'm able to incorporate those aspects into my practice now. Um, so it's almost like I've come full circle um, and my, you know, I have interest in women's health and lifestyle medicine and I can bring all of that into my practice. So general practice has given me a lot of freedom to be able to do that and really work in a clinical way that is in harmony with my beliefs um, I as well, you know, giving me that flexibility with work-life balance and giving me space and time to do my community work that I, I love doing.
2: What was the hardest um, part of getting to here? I mean, you mentioned you grafted, so that graft means you know it's got to have been tough. So, what was the, some of the hardest, toughest parts for you?
1: Yeah, I, I don't look back at them and think, oh, that was a really hard time because. I did it with a lot of support, um, when I was doing my general practice training, uh, I was working full time and studying, coming home and studying, and I did that with two young toddlers, but that was with the support of my husband and my parents. Um, my parents were looking after the boys at that time, so I would you know, bundle the kids up you know, eight, half asleep in the car, half seven in the morning, drive to my mum and dad's, drop them off there and they would do the breakfast and the nursery runs, mashallah. So yes, it was hard work in the sense that, you know, I you, you have to put the graft in, but I had a lot of support. I had a lot of help and I couldn't have done it without the support of my parents and my husband to, you know, can kind of utilise that because there was times where I would do a week of nights. Uh, you're working, you know, Twelve-hour shifts, um, sometimes longer than that. By the time you've done a ward and action things, coming home, you know the kids at the weekend want to go out and do things, and I'm just, you know, I need to get some sleep. So my husband would do a lot of the, a lot of those sort of duties. So yeah, I, it was hard, but I can't complain really because I had so much support to help me through that process. Um so, yeah, subhanAllah, so kind of it was, we'd not been able to do that without my parents and my husband.
2: Sure. Well, faith is a very important equation. Um, how has that influenced your career um, as well, would you say? Because you said you've had a lot of autonomy, so that's brilliant. And I also know that you're, you've done I syllabus as well, mashallah.
1: Um, the faith, I, as I, I, again, the more I um, I came to kind of studying my, my own religion later on. I mean, obviously, growing up, you learn to listen, you read the Grand, the Five Pillars, your prayers, you know, all the basics, and that was that's all fine, but it didn't answer some of the questions that I had growing up. A lot of them were around certain inequalities I was seeing. Um, Around the way women were treated in our culture, yeah. in our society, mm-hmm. and this is really what led me to think I need to study. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alhamdulillah, I syllabus came along. What a great opportunity! Because it was in an environment which I was used to. It was an lecture theatre. You were given notes. You know, so it, again, it was it was handed to me on a plate. Um, I, and I found that the more I study my religion. The better I am as a doctor, the better physician I am, because what I bring to my patients is not just my clinical experience, but from a spiritual aspect. Like I've learned, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard the uh, the saying of, of um, Imam Shafi, I think, who said that the two noble professions are medicine and scholarship, and to be able to fulfil the criteria of being. A good Muslim physician. Your character matters, so I was aware of that, and I am still because that journey never ends. The developing your character when you're giving when you're off service because it's very easy, and we fall all fall into that trap when we think we're doing good. Like we start patting ourselves on the back too much, and now there's a bit of a danger in that. So I, you know, the way I see it, I have been given the privilege. been doing this job which is a service to my community and service to allah but i can only get the benefit from that if i bring a certain kind of presence and energy so that's where my faith comes in that's where faith comes in and also in a practical sense i get a lot of questions that are medical but have that it's that interface of medicine and faith um whether that we're talking about menstrual issues with women whether we're talking about organ donation uh, you know, uh, some of the scientific progresses that we made, there's a there's a huge growing interface of medicine and faith and alhamdulillah Masha, I find that whole medical ethics area really interesting and I, I, I've been able to kind of answer questions and sometimes I get, you know, it's not just my patients that are asking these questions, family, friends sometimes people I don't know you know, get my number and text me asking me and alhamdulillah for the privilege to be of service to to, to be able to, you know help people in that
2: way how do you balance your time with all of this because it sounds like uh, quite a quite uh, a large responsibility as well and then with family time too
1: i think so the responsibility um yes there's responsibility that comes with that um and again my faith helps Is it, it you know i'm not I'm accountable to God first and foremost, really at the end of the day. And that dictates how I deal with people. It always comes back to that. That's where your balance is. So when when, you, when you're looking at it from that lens, you have to remember that, and I have to remind myself of this, people that are closest to me, i.e. my children and my husband, I need to give to them first and make sure that I'm fulfilling their rights. Um, because we're all really good at kind of thinking about right, what are my rights and I, my, I, my rights being fulfilled. But actually, as a, as a Muslim, we should be fulfilling other people's rights. And if everyone did that, then no one would be complaining about their rights. Um, and so, my husband has a, has a right in terms of my, our, my time and I have a right on his time. My children have a right on my time and you know, et etc. So those have to be fulfilled. And that's where I, you know, I'm not saying it's easy. And just mm. like, you know, imagine the scales, sometimes things tip a certain way, but you yeah. have to recognize that and rebalance things. So my faith helps with that balance. A support network ha- helps with that balance. Having people around you that you can check in with, that can give you Nasiha when you're off balance, bring mm. you back in. So I mm. alhamdulillah, have good friends and good mentors around me that I can, you know, and we help each other from a spiritual aspect as well as just from a practical day-to-day aspect. Um, and, yeah, sometimes I do need that reminder, whether that's from family or from friends, to say, right, you're off balance a little bit and just check in with yourself. Because I, I need, you know, I talk a lot about stress management and how to look after yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually. I have, you know, I have to heed that advice myself. So I know how to do it doesn't always work but my support network always kind of reminds me when that can go off kilter a little bit.
2: Well that's poignant. So what would you say what makes you happy? What, what do you enjoy doing in life?
1: Um, I realize I love learning. I enjoy uh, I enjoy learning yeah and just uh, new information, new knowledge excites me. Um, I'm currently doing a course on Islamic healing and I find that so inspiring and so exciting and that's something I can take back to my community and take back to my family. That excites me. Travelling excites me for, again, the experience of something new and fresh. Um, So, yeah, those are the things that really ignite that kind of, so it's not so much happiness, it's an excitement. And that's what living is, isn't it? It's like a passion to live and learn more. And I always say that to my, my kids as well. It's, you know, whatever you do, do it well and do it with passion. Like do it with enjoyment to be the best and learn more. So my, my son, like I said, is doing his hires and people ask me, I bet you want him to do, be a doctor. And I say, no, I'm I, I actually, I'm happy for him to choose his path. But what I've said to him, do it, do it with passion. And do it in the best that you can. Do Put your all into it. And you can only put your all into it when you enjoy what you're doing. So, you know, alhamdulillah, like I say, maybe my dad brainwashed me into being a doctor. But I love what doing what I do. Yeah. I love being able to help people realise that, you know, like come towards healing. Bring a little bit more balance to themselves. At the end of the day, like we're just pointing people in the right direction. Healing is from within. Healing is from yes. God. We are just pointing people in the right direction.
2: Absolutely, no, that's a wonderful answer as well. Um, the last couple of minutes, I, I wanted to direct it at uh, um, you know, what advice would you give the next generation of female leaders out there? Or, or I'm not just going to say leaders, but you know, because it, it, it's about a balance. Maybe not everybody wants to. Become the CEO, it's finding that balance of um, self actualization, equanimity of the soul, uh, and faith, and that whole balance with family as well. Um, you know, there's a different life for a person who goes to New York and lives a, a hard work life, because it is very hard work, say, in New York City. It's a bit cal- calmer, in, you know, where I, I was in Switzerland. And it was very hellish in London. And that's why a lot of people come up to Scotland. It's, it's a really nice place to be um, and probably better work-life balance. So what would your guidance be to the younger generation of girls and the younger mature women that are listening to the show right now?
1: Um, you, you said initially about leadership. And I think, first of all, I would just say that I didn't, I didn't set out to be a leader in anything but things happen yeah. that opportunities come your way. And when an opportunity comes your way, take it. Yeah. I read a book recently by Shonda Rhymes saying the, her year of yes. And it was just that whole idea of, first you have to be open to opportunities, be open to what comes your way. So keep yeah. your eyes open. And when an opportunity comes, go for it. Because by saying no to it, it's a lose-lose by saying yes to it you can only gain something whether that's experience or a new skill or new connections you can only gain from it and even in failure there's there's success in that because failure teaches you and that's the only way. you know it's always like take one step forward and whatever what happens you're going to learn and be you know you'll be better for it um you we talk about glass ceilings i think our glass chains hold our back, uh, us back more than the glass ceilings. And those are the chains that we put on ourselves. Cultural restrictions, um, you know, we make ourselves think that because oh, because I have kids or because I have the A, B, C or I don't have these resources, I can't do A, B and C. Those are restrictions we're putting on ourselves. A lot of that is our own self-talk putting us down. Be aware of that. Be aware of your own restrictions. It's not the glass ceiling that's stopping you. It's your glass change. And those are the ones that, once you realise, can easily be broken, like break away from them. And number two, you know, we're all just normal, average people from normal, average backgrounds. But that perseverance, tenacity, and just one step at a time has led, you know, you've had some amazing speakers, has led all of them to achieve what they They've achieved one step at a time. Just take that little step forward. We're not, we're just we're not exceptional. We didn't have any great privilege, but we had a mindset of accepting ourselves and be your own com- competitor, compete with yourself. So that's my that's what would be my message to to our listeners out there.
2: And that is a wonderful, beautiful wrap to the first episode in this two-part series, Woman in Leadership. Um Dr. Dar, you are an amazing leader for the community. It's such a pleasure to have had you uh, discuss your journey. I'm sorry it was such a brief time, um, but, you know, it's such a pleasure, as I said. And, you know, it's really trying to impart all the messages from all the ladies that we've had on the show. So thank you for joining us this evening. Th- thank ladies you for
1: the opportunity, as yes, Thank you very much
2: Bezhakala. for
1: bringing, bringing this together.
2: Bezhakala. Thank you as well. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us tonight. This is Late Night Live. We're going to sign off now and we'll be back tomorrow, inshallah, um, and look out for the next episode. Jazakallah, alafiz, and khudafiz, Dr. Dar.